Good evening, everyone. Welcome. It's Thursday night. It's a one-to-one interview on the Celtic FC Appreciation Show. My name's Gaz. I'm going to be your host. And delighted to say, joining us is the voice of Scottish football and the man famous for commentary such as this. Yeah, that was. I don't know how much you can hear of that. I don't know. I was trying to get. I was trying. To, I was trying to get it through the through the sounds through the, the the app kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we have Rory Hamilton, BT Sports and Premier Sports commentator. Rory, thank you so much for joining us tonight. No, thanks. Thanks for having me on. There, were, there was a few in there that I thought you might <laughs> you might play, but uh, do you know what? Listening back to hearing just hearing. Crowds makes oh, the ears on my neck stand. It's, like, it, it's so so different, um, and and you think back to all your emotions at at all those moments because because part of being a commentator is throwing yourself into the moment of the supporters, and that's what it, it, it's so difficult to do when there are none. It's really really difficult to even get yourself just heightened for that huge moment but when the fans are there it, it's it's like you're almost their voice but it just makes your job so so much easier when they're going wild you just have to join them yeah i mean you you, you heard obviously some of the 
commentary. I mean, nobody says Christopher Julian like Rory Hamilton. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I still, it's still my two favourite pieces of commentary, I think. Um, it's up where, there with Martin Tyler and Aguero moment kind of thing. But um, So as I say, we'll be talking to Rory Hamilton over the next hour. Um, we'll be talking about his, his career in commentary and where he's kind of started from. Um, but as I say, guys, we're winding down towards the end of the season on the podcast. Um, want to thank our sponsors, Club Badge FC. Um, thank them for their support. So as I say, any kind of questions and comments, guys, get them into us and we'll get through them. So, um, Rory, just to kind of take you back, um, I mean, they say, I think they say referees are failed footballers. Um, I don't know what, what the, the kind of commentator's version of it is, but I believe you studied, was it sports science at Edinburgh Uni in 2002? Was, was that the kind of route you wanted to go down originally? Uh, I, <laughs> I would say when I left school, it was, it was more through indecision uh, and maybe really, really not knowing what I wanted to do. Uh, so I had a gap, I took a gap year when I worked as a teacher in Guyana and I left school uh, with, with decent enough grades to, to go and do, do plenty of things, you know, out with being a doctor or a vet or a lawyer and I didn't want to do any of them anyway. Um, but not really with an idea. So I went off to Guyana, had the most amazing year of my life. Uh, but, but then in the back of my mind had this thought of, well, what do I actually want to do? Uh, my mum sent me through a thing about sports science, and I thought, yeah, that, that sounds good. It, it, I would say right now, I would say it wasn't the right thing for me, but uh, I, c- I can now look back and think that what I was actually trying to do, my passion is sport. And what you're trying to do, as you say about referees or failed footballers, I, I think most of the guys that are in journalism and in TV for for football, it, it's very much a similar thing, uh, and it's a, a, there was a there was a book that I, I read about a sports journalist, and I think he sort of nailed it. Was that sports journalists are trying to get as close to the pitch as they possibly can, and where I would I would probably just extend that a little bit further is, you know, if, some have been good footballers. Some, you know, decent enough to play it. Others, not quite. Uh, others, absolutely awful. But your passion's, passion lies for the game and knowledge of the game. Um, but your specific skills might be elsewhere. So, you know, even by the time I was 18, 19, you're still harbouring dreams of a scout in the, in the park picking you up and going, oh, yeah, that's, that's the one for us. It's clearly, clearly at that stage, it's not going to happen. But, uh, but you've got skills elsewhere, and be it writing, uh, be it commentating, be it filming, be it directing. There's all sorts of ways where, you know, you become that level, but just in a in a a different skill set. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I've got a few mates that are sports scientists, kind of thing. Um, and and they were they were hoping to to get placements abroad over in America at, at teams, but obviously the, the pandemic's kind of halted that. Um, so as you say, like obviously linked with 
with sport as much as possible. You know, it was a bit of a jump then to decide um, to get into the, the production side of things, I suppose. Um, you were still heavily involved in sport, but how did the, the Satanta sports gig come about? Uh, so, so I was at uh, STV first. Uh, when I was at uni, I used to go in at the weekends and just just do uh, you know, putting manager interviews up on the website and things, just helping out. So they gave me a job off the back of uni and... Uh, and then when actually when Jim Delahunt uh, jumped from STV to Satanta, uh, I think he sort of recommended me as one of the one of the younger assistant producers that that might be worth taking across. So so that was a, that was a good move. Um, I think I was there for maybe three years uh, before before their untimely uh, end. But that was a that was a really good way of throwing me into live action uh, because I I just. I had a policy, and I always say it to to younger guys that, that contact me looking for advice. I just say yes to everything. Get involved in whatever opportunities are there. Just do it because that's what I did then, and I took myself out of my comfort zone. Uh, did what was a at the time it was a really really stressful job. Was um, you, you become a VT coordinator, which is basically like picking the replays as they go out live. Um, but it was just. There was advancing yourself into that live environment, and then you really understand the business that you're in when you when you become a commentator, and uh, and you also you're you're then picking, like I, I talked about before, the finding your skill set to get you to the level that you want to be at, and that that's what that's about. You know, you, I started as a, a junior assistant producer, worked my way. To being an assistant producer, then did some reporting, so tried that for a bit. Then I thought, oh, maybe I want to be a director. But once I once I started listening to commentators and appreciating that, probably looked back at my time as a as a kid and playing football in the garden and by myself, and I went, do you know what? I used to actually commentate on myself and like have these these <laughs> daft little scenarios and you, you'd be <laughs> cheering at the corner flag by yourself. Um, and I went, oh yeah, that that's probably actually what what your destiny has been all along, but you just never knew about it. Yeah, I mean, as as well as a as well as a massive football fan, obviously, as you say, you started off. Um, you you kind of you're a big rugby fan, obviously. Um, it's a big passion of yours. Um, I think the first commentary gig was was Edinburgh playing Connex. Um. I mean, how much of a buzz was that for you, and how how nervous were you when you got the call to to do it? It's great. I, I feel like you know more about me than I do. <laughs> You've done your research anyway. Um, it was uh, yeah. So when when Satanta finished, uh, and the the boss Colin Davidson uh, started doing STV rugby, and I think we'd done the first couple of weeks of the programme, which was the old Magnus League, so it was Scottish, Irish and Welsh teams, Glasgow and Edinburgh involved. Uh, and they just brought in commentary from Welsh and Irish uh, stations. So he said, you know, after week three or whatever it was, he said, yeah, that's, uh, that's great, everyone's really happy, good feedback. The only thing that we're being criticised for is we don't have a Scottish voice on the games. So I just sort of joked in a meeting, oh, you know, maybe... I'd, I was annoying you the entire time at Satanta to give me a chance commentating. Maybe this is the one and sort of, you know, laughter, laughter in the meeting room and that kind of thing. And then Colin 
gave me the call. I think it was maybe on the Thursday. I was commuting from from the Highlands where my mum and dad live. So driving, you know, almost four hours to, to come down for the weekend shift and staying with friends. And Colin said, oh, you know, you, you suggested that in the meeting. Well, you're on for tomorrow night, Friday night. You're doing Edinburgh Connacht. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's nervous, but I've done a, a fair amount of, of reporting and things like that. So you get used to hearing back your voice. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would definitely say I was nervous about that. Um, Edinburgh, I think they, they stuck 60-odd points on them that night. So I got plenty of practice at, uh, at, at tries and, and that kind of thing. But rugby's always been a big, big passion of mine. Um, I played it uh, when I was a kid. Loads of my football mates can't understand it. They're like, no, you can't, you can't <laughs> like both. But I'm, I'm, I, I like them both. I would probably say equally. I, I don't actually know. I've never really weighed it up. Um, I like them differently, but uh, yeah, love both sports and got a, played them both just a sort of similar level, which is I think helps. Well, that's what that's what I was obviously going to I was going to say. But you know, in terms of playing, um, you know, did you did you play both at school? Were, were you ever kind of amateur, or, or could you have went pro at one or one or either of them? No, I mean, I don't think I was ever good enough to to take that step uh played played at school uh and it 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 never really dovetailed that well because i, I played for a local club in in helensburg Clyde center um and then when they were still playing saturdays i had to play for the school rugby team so when it was when that first happened i, I don't know i might be 12 or something so i had a couple of years out of football and, and almost resented the rugby but by by then playing rugby i started loving that and then football then became Sunday league, so I could play both. I would play rugby on a on a Saturday and football on a Sunday. So by the end, it worked out. It worked out quite well. Um, I had a, a couple of trials when I was when I was young. When when I could outpace everyone, and the goalies were tiny and the goals were massive, so that that was the tactic. We had a front three, and we had a good guy at the back. We would lump it over the top, and the three of us would just race to it. And whoever got there first would lob the goalie and you'd score like 50-odd goals a season. It was great. <laughs> I mean, you know, you look at you look at the Scotland national team, um, obviously at rugby, how how kind of, how much pride did you have with, with the boys, the way they played in this recent Six Nations? Obviously, first wins at Twickenham in Paris in over 20 years, you know. Um, where do you see this side going? Do you, do you see them going far next year? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're building... Um, I think it was really important that they kept Gregor Townsend on after the World Cup, which was a disappointment. And I was out in Japan uh, with my girlfriend just um, as a supporter uh, to, I mean, predominantly as a rugby fan, but you know, I love travel and, and food and drink. And uh, Japan's just a, an amazing place to experience that. And the culture that out there is brilliant. So this recent Six Nations... Um, Really, really proud of of the way that Scotland won. Uh, I mean, to win in England, that's uh, to win at Twickenham. That's the first in my lifetime. Um, so because it was eighty three, the, the 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 spring of eighty three, that was the last time they did it, and I was born in November eighty three. So uh, I'd have just, I'd have loved to have been there, and I turned down a couple of recent Twickenham games, which I completely. Um, I was, I've just been gutted about, um, but 
you know, nobody nobody was at this one. But to to watch it was was pretty awesome anyway. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I think I think they're they're doing well. Obviously, that's that's highlighted with eight eight boys and the lions, and there could have been more. There could have been less yeah. than there could have been more. You got to look at a couple of them that that missed out that they're unlucky, but but they may come into contention when injuries get picked up on on those tours are, are so intense. Um, don't want anybody to get injured, obviously, but you know others others may get opportunities. But for the eight that that are going, brilliant and and really well deserved. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not that big a rugby fan. Not, not in terms of that big a rugby fan. I, I don't know enough about it in terms of rules and you know regulations. And it usually comes to the Kolkata Cup matches, and I'm just screaming at the telly for Scotland to win. Do you know what I mean? So, um, in terms of, but it was, I, I, I was so proud watching the boys, and especially winning in France, knowing that we couldn't win the Six Nations. But, but to put that effort in, to put that fight in. Um, I think it shows that, that there is something to build on there, and as you say, it was it was important that that Gregor Townsend stayed on. Um, Paul McClellan, just a couple of questions coming. In. Paul McClellan says, "Rory, who's the best person you've in football you've interviewed or hosted with? Out with Gaz." <laughs> um, yeah. Good question. There's been a been a few good interviews. I think I think uh, Gordon Strachan's always a brilliant interview. Um, depending on the the situation, if you get him if you get him sat down and and uh, in a calmer environment where he's not trying to battle the press, I always think Gordon Gordon's got some amazing stories uh, to tell. So he's he I, I really enjoy. Uh, chatting with him, even even in the BT Sport Winnebago, <laughs> uh, had you know some good good chats with Gordon in there. Um, I often find players nowadays it can be a bit of a struggle. They're very they're overly coached to deal with media, and it's it's really hard to to bring out their personalities. Maybe maybe that was the case for you know the journalists found that in the. 90s and 80s and 70s but I don't, I don't think so I think they had a bit more freedom to express themselves and I think it's a bit of a shame for the guys now that they're so easily misquoted and I understand why there's that kind of fear of the media um, so I, I don't blame them for it I think sometimes clubs clubs are a little bit paranoid about it Um which is unfortunate, and I think they overcoach some of their their players in in that sense. But um, yeah, probably put put Gordon up there. Hosted with, um, I've not done a lot of hosting. Um, well, in terms of co commentary, I suppose. Um, co commentary. No, no, no one to start any arguments between certain people, but. <laughs> Well, I'll pick the one that, that loves to start arguments with other people. Chris Sutton yeah, yeah. is the standout. <laughs> I mean, I've done so many games with Chris, uh, with BT, and and travelled all, all over Europe. And I mean, he's 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 just he's top drawer. I think a lot of the time, uh, people of if you actually listen to what he's saying. He's not always being antagonistic. He he thinks he really thinks through, and he he's happy to you know he's obviously got strong links to Celtic. But he's happy to criticise Celtic as much as he'll criticise or praise 
Rangers or Parks or Hibs or, or whoever. Um, sometimes people miss that, uh, which I think is a little bit unfair. But at the same time, he loves a wind-up. <laughs> so so he's, he's more than happy uh, to take a little bit of flack because he knows he's doing it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the thing is with, with Chris Sutton, I think he, he was very much, very, very shy, I think, when he came to Celtic um, as a player and and he didn't seem as if he had that kind of fun-loving side and, and kind of wind-up side about him and obviously that was brought out when, when he kind of joined BT Sports but in terms of, like, you mentioned Gordon, uh, Gordon Strachan, I was lucky enough to, to interview him um, I was doing a, a kind of work placement thing for uh, the, was it the Daily Record? It was the Daily Record because I was up with Hugh Evans and we went up to Lennox Town and Gordon was the manager at the time and I was absolutely petrified. I'm like, like ask him one question, don't make it stupid, don't make him, you know, because you know he could tie you in knots. Um, and and I managed to get the question out and it was it was a perfectly simple question, so he answered it with with any kind of sarky comments. But I love Gordon Strack and I, I love listening to his stories and when he does the past to paradise kind of thing. But he is he's he's phenomenal. I, I love um listening to the load all the BT kind of guys, do you know what I mean? So um so rather embarrassingly, uh, one of one of the best interviews that I've ever done, because the, the question was about football, but one of the best sportsmen that I've ever interviewed, and it was at the old course uh during the Johnny Walker when you get the, the celebs and the um is it the Johnny Walker? Yeah it is. Um the celebs and the the amateurs and the, the pros all playing together and <laughs> the best interview that I did at that. I had had some crackers like Bill Murray and guys like that. Absolutely outstanding. Best one that I did embarrassingly as I say was Oscar Pistorius. And he just really? came across as the nicest guy and, and to see how his you know how how things have transpired with that is is uh, something else, but um, yeah, the interview that I did with him was. But I think again, he was probably one that was mega coached into actually having a personality within the media, and that was how he uh, promoted himself. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, was that um, that tournament? Was that kind of at the the height of his fame when you know when he was he was running kind of thing when he was. Um, yeah, yeah, it was pre. Oh, sorry, it's the Alfred Dunhill. It's not the Johnny Walker. The Dunhill. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think that would have been probably around about 2012. So, uh, so pre London Olympics. So it was around about then. Yeah, as I say, like that's <laughs> Bill Murray and Oscar Pistorius. I need to up my game. Um, <laughs> um, but I mean, you, you know, you joined you joined the European Tour Productions. Um, I think 2014, I don't know if I've got my years right, but what did that job entail? That was a great gig, actually. I, I, I did a few trips um, where I just I went out to tournaments on the Challenge Tour, which is a really interesting tour because you've got loads of up-and-coming quality young golfers, and then you've got the kind of journeyman pros um, who have been there seen it done it but they're now not at the top level that you've then got other you've got good guys who have just missed out on their card and you can just see the emotional battle uh having to play you know minor tournaments for i think i did one that was the czech open 
the guy Julian Suri won it, who very, very quickly progressed onto the European Tour because he was way too good for the Challenge Tour. Um, I think the prize money for winning the tournament was something like 25,000 euros. So it's, re- it's, you know, it's, it's really low, but the, there, there are some top quality golfers on it. Um, so I, I just went out and we used to put a report together each day. So I'd, I'd go around with a cameraman and we'd, we'd just try and capture the action. Uh, so you've got one camera to cover everyone in the entire tournament. So you're, you're, you'd get the, the producer would be on the phone and say, oh, I hear there was a hole in one at the 15th today. And you're like, well, if you give us 18 cameras, we can get it. <laughs> We're a two-man team here. <laughs> Um, but in terms of just, um, I was just going to say, any any questions anybody's got, feel free to get them in. Um, things seem to be going a wee bit slow. This app's not been working lately. Um, so in terms of Michael Brown asks, um, as a rugby fan, you'll know more about Donut McKay than most. Um, how do you think he'll do in his new role at Celtic? Yeah, an interesting one. I think that's, that's going to be a really interesting uh, sort of new era for, for Celtic next season. You know, it, New manager, new captain, um, and and of course Dominic coming in as well. And I've, I've had quite a lot of dealings with with Dominic over the, over the years, um, and he's always he's been brilliant to deal with. Uh, and I, I, I texted him on the day that I heard that he they'd got the job, and just sort of you know said well done and uh, get the tin hat ready because <laughs> you're about to get hit with some missiles. Um, and you know he, he's. Dominic was in contact with me a lot when I got the job with Premier Sports because I think the SRU had had some influence over over the decision as well. Uh, so they were quite happy to promote me as a sort of Scottish rugby's uh, voice as well. So so I had a few meetings with him then. I've always got on really well with him. He's very open. Um, it's it'll be a different environment. Uh, between I mean they get the criticism comes in rugby as well and. The SRU are, you know, never, never short of that themselves. So, so you'll know how to deal with it. But football criticism, criticism can possibly be a bit tougher. Um, but I think he's got a really, he's got a strong charisma, uh, and he's also got that experience uh, with with the SRU. He's, he'll have good ideas to take the club forward uh, as he has done because the the way that the SRU and professional rugby has transformed over that time that he was involved there I think uh, I think he did some some really good things within Scottish rugby yeah I mean I, I suppose us as football fans kind of don't realize the, the pressure probably that there is in in other sports especially rugby do you know I mean? and I think he came in for a wee bit of kind of banter on day one when he turned up not only in a blue car but a blue suit and a blue tie. I don't know if that was intentional or whether it was, it just didn't think, but obviously it's, it's not that important, but it's, you know, it's crazy how fans pick up on this, especially in Glasgow. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, somebody being in charge of the Angels and turning up with a green tie. Um, something I forgot was that you were part of Sky Sports team. Do you know, I was, when I, I first kind of heard you on, on BT Sports and, and Premier Sports, I kind of thought to myself, I, I kind of knew the voice and I kind of knew the, I was trying to place you, and I realised that that when Goals and Sunday was on, that obviously you did the voiceovers for a lot of the the Scottish games, kind of thing. Um, did you did you work with the 
the goals on Sunday team in terms of Cammy and, and Ben Shepherd and the production guys are where you just kind of away in uh, Scottish football kind of just doing the voiceovers. Yeah, I mean that was it really because because I had that production background as well. Then you can almost kill two jobs with with one person, um, which was quite handy. So I can I could put together the piece and and then voice it as well. Uh, so I didn't. I, I've never never spoken to Ben or Cammy. I, no, don't think so. Uh, unless it was through like Soccer Saturday, I'd maybe thrown to Cammy, but I, or reacted. I'm I'm not too sure. Um, but I mean those those Saturday night shifts were they were pretty crazy. It was at a time when I was freelance, and I'd sometimes do four shifts uh, on a Saturday. You know, starting at like because it's all centered around the football, so it's centered around the three o'clock kickoff. So you'd you know you'd you'd be doing something at twelve, previewing a game, then maybe commentating on a game, maybe doing a soccer Saturday shift, uh, and then. You could have, I did some comms in at STV as well for the SPFL. And then up to, by the time that I got to uh, Sky to do the goals on Sunday, it was usually you know, half past 10, 11 o'clock. Um, and, and you'd sort of have your, your script in your mind of how you wanted to do it. But, but by then I'd seen all the goals and, you know, before everyone else. So, so it was... You had you needed everything to fall into line. If one shift was late, or you know some tapes hadn't come back, or something, then it it messed everything up. Because then you're having to text the next gig that oh I'm, I'm going to be a wee bit late, and then you'd be later for the goals on Sunday shift. It was tough going. <laughs> it, it was it was good good experience, uh, but I don't really miss those. But again, if you can if you can do four shifts in one day, it's not bad. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I've been lucky enough to meet Cammy um, as well. So, you know, what you see is what you get. You always, you always kind of think when you when you see guys in the telly, and you always think, oh, "I wonder if I like that in real life." You know, um, I can remember I met Michael Van Gelwen, who absolutely idolised at darts, and he was just a pure diva, an absolute diva. I don't know if I caught him in a bad a bad moment, but you know, it's, it's, they say don't meet your heroes, kind of thing. But in terms of in terms of that, it's just as you say, it snowballs. Um, you know, if if you're missing one thing, because that must that must be so much pressure in terms of, you know, as you say, you were working with action replays and you're working highlights and and what to put on camera, kind of thing. And in terms of has has anything kind of majorly went wrong that you can remember in your career in terms of like replays or when you've been pro- producing, kind of thing. Yeah, I remember. Uh... I was back doing a Celtic Rangers game at Celtic Park, and I think I, I was getting to do the. So they talk about um, match cord and and press cord. So match is obviously doing the replays on the game, and press cord is the presentation. So you're you're putting all the inserts that you see, any interviews, any. Uh, so the manager interviews are you know they're. They're rarely live. They usually are, you know, at the end of the game, probably be live. Um, everything that you see that isn't the guys talking is being played in uh, from the, the trucks, and you need to put that to a line. So you've got it's, it's probably it's difficult to explain, but you've got four lines. Yeah, and I remember I remember doing one, and it was the Celtic warm ups. So you had you know, four lines. So I'd have Celtic warm up player one on A. 
and then B would be uh, a sort of pieces of their action. On C would be warm up two, and then his action on D. But then you'd have a third and a fourth player that you had to do as well. So once player one had gone, then you could put new things from different machines onto their lines. Yeah. Uh, but one of the players that was warming up and I cut his line onto something else. So it just goes to a freeze. And obviously yeah. that's what the live pictures are on. So probably at home because you get off it really quickly. But I I remember the uh, I mean just getting getting an absolute earful uh coming coming through from the director. Uh which I mean some people some people sort of react well to that, but you know, it just plagues your mind. And for you, like that's you know, that's that's like scoring an own goal in a cup final or something. That's what it feels like. Yeah. To the viewers at home, they probably just go, oh, did, did that happen? I don't know. Keep watching. <laughs> and it's probably nothing. But when you're in that TV and live environment, it's so pressurised. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those things. That, that's one that I remember. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine that kind of pressure. I mean, as I say, like I've been... A kind of sports writer and and I've interviewed people and obviously I've been doing this podcast, but obviously in terms of like obviously I'm as, as I said to you before we we came on air, you know I mean I'm battling with kind of comments and then um, trying to change the banners kind of thing on this. So as I say, this is all kind of infant stage to me, but at least it, it, nothing's going out live on TV. Do you know what I mean it's just going on so, social media on our page. Um, it's amazing. Some some of the some of the directors are. You know they're just so calm, and I think that that really helps a, a broadcast. Um, and I think particularly with BT Sport, Grant Phillips, the the director, uh, and I think you can see that lighthearted the comments. You know, Daryl taking somehow taking charge of the four pundits. I don't know how he does it. It's bad enough with two, um, but you can you can see that that's re- that really good rapport. And I think a lot of that comes from. A director that's and a producer, Martin Keegan, that they they set a, a calm and and fun environment, uh, which I think is really really important. Yeah, as I say, like um, you, you mentioned BT Sports, and you met you you joined the team in twenty seventeen. Um, Derek Ray, a man that I believe um, you look up to, who was involved in commentary before you got involved. How much a how much of a help was was he? Yeah, I mean. Uh, because I was sort of Ian Crocker's backup at, at Sky, so I didn't get that many games. It would be if there was a, a cup double header and, uh, and things like that. And, but I was obviously I was I was doing other things on the side, and and both Derek and and Crocs were always always great with me. Any time that that you need advice, um, and also. Uh, you, you, t- you pick up little things from from the styles of of other commentators without you don't want to do it too much because this is a piece of advice um that I got from Martin Tyler very early on so very early on in my my sky days and and got his number and was at me, said that you can give him a give him a ring and and he said to me don't take on too much advice so that was I said. What advice have you got for me? Well, don't take on too much advice. So I was like, okay, that's interesting, uh, and don't try to be anyone else. Don't try to don't try to emulate or copy 
Bill McLaren or Ian Crocker or uh, Derek Ray or Rob McLean because these guys or Jock Brown was another one who, who was doing Sky as well at the time he's been there for years um, the, these guys are the best at being them and they've got to where they are because they're themselves if you try to be the next Bill McLaren and, and try and make puns and similes and all that sort of thing. It's so obvious that you're trying to copy somebody else's style. Make your own style. Um, so I, th- I think all those guys have, have been influences on me, whether it's been through listening to them and how they deal with things uh, or, you know, the advice that, that and I, I mean, I speak to Ian Crocker and, and Derek Ray, obviously Derek's over in the States now, but anytime I have a message Ian all the time, you know, <laughs> If, if I if I do a do a big line or he does a, has a big moment in a game, then we're always we're always sort of at each other. It's, it's quite a good little, like, I guess, a fraternity. Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of just uh, you kind of stole my thunder there a wee bit. In terms of <laughs> my next question was obviously, you know, you've been some memorable commentators over the years, from Murray Walker, Bill McLaren, um, to Clive Tilsley and Martin Taylor. Um, Obviously, you know when you talk about taking bits of inspiration, kind of thing. I think the best thing, the best analogy I can think of is when Michael Bibble was getting interviewed, and in no way to do with football at all. So I don't even know why it just popped into my head when you say that. But Michael Bibble was getting interviewed on American TV, and he basically said the best piece of advice. I think it was Dean Martin that says. Um, don't steal from one person because you're a thief. Steal wee bits from everybody and you'll look like a genius kind of thing. And and I think um, that is, but as you say, you've got to be your own man in terms of, um, and you obviously mentioned your, the cup double header that when when you were kind of playing back up to Ian Crocker at Sky, um, your first game, I believe, was a Brophan Rangers in the cup. Um, I mean, no doubt you'll be used to the kind of weather I think it was. I think it was a kind of January, an early cup game for yeah, Rangers. Yeah. It was. It was probably January. Um, how did you feel that bedded you in? Did you? Did you feel it's a kind of baptism of fire? And no, in terms of the names of the teams, but in terms of going up there on a, a cold, whatever it was, Saturday or Sunday kind of thing. Yeah, I mean it's brilliant. That's the one thing with doing TV is nothing can prepare you for for life life sport. You know, you don't get a practice at it. You just have to. Once, once the director says, you know, cue commentator, uh, that's you, and you've got forty-five minutes until you until you, to not make a mistake, and then another forty-five minutes after that. Uh, I I love going to grounds like that. Um, as as much as I love doing, you know, big European nights at Celtic Park and Ibrox and. Uh, and cup semi-finals and finals at Hamden uh, with full houses. I love the character of of smaller grounds, and and often there's that becomes part of the story uh, for 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 those cup games is the venue and and taking bigger name players out of their comfort zone. And we we did that game up at Arbroath, uh, and. I mean, as as I as I always do, you know, to this day, I, I do loads of homework. I've, I've not got the best memory in the world, so I write everything down. I've got always do little individual cards. In fact, there's one now. 
So, so I do little cards with <laughs> Stephen Welsh and Ross Doohan. Um, so I just I do that for every single player in the squad for every game that I do, just as part of my preparations. Um, and so obviously I'd have done the same for for that game. And the commentary position was a gantry that they built on scaffolding above the stand opposite the main stand. So it's just it's it's above, uh, and then therefore with no roof. And if you know Gayfield at all, the North Sea is about two metres that way. <laughs> it's right behind your back. Because uh, there's not even, I don't think there's even, there's maybe a walkway between between the stadium and, and then just the seawall. Uh, so there's no cover. And of course, the teams come out, it starts raining, and, and all my notes, it's just ink going to mush. Um and uh, so, so I said, well, you know, why is why is there no why is there no cover? And uh, and it was because that would it was so windy that any sort of roof that we'd put on would have become a sail, yeah, and taken us <laughs> and the roof beneath us, which was the stand, into the North Sea. <laughs> we, so we actually ended up we were strapped onto the scaffolding, wow. myself and Andy Walker. We were we were harnessed onto the scaffolding so we didn't so that we didn't fall off and that so as you say that I mean that's a baptism of fire <laughs> getting put in a scenario like that and it's just brilliant it's, live commentary is and your first one it, it kind of is a sink or swim uh, and, and companies learn quite quickly if they, if they can trust you to keep doing it or not. Yeah, especially in terms of that kind of scenario, we've seen a few cup upsets, and obviously you're kind of going up there hoping for a cup upset, and and that's what I was just going to say. I mean, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but Clive Tildesley actually has a sort of business that he sells his um, he sells his kind of commentary stuff. He, you know, it's all kind of notes that he's had, as you say, you take down lots of notes, um, you know, and. He he sells it. It's all framed and it's all like team sheets from famous games like Man United, Bayern Munich, and you know it's it's all commentary that he's done kind of thing. Um, I mean, is that something you would ever think about doing? It you've got quite an iconic voice. I don't know if you, I don't know if you're aware of it, but you certainly have an iconic voice that, that you could possibly do that in the in the did, future. Did a you, nice wee signed line. Did you not see my handwriting on that on those cards? <laughs> I could never master that. You, you can ask every teacher that I had at school, and my handwriting is never good enough to be able to produce something that, that people would pay money for. I'm, I'm sure you could get a ghostwriter to write it out again. <laughs> you know I mean, um, I part of the prep is I, I do enjoy it. It is good as yeah. long as you've got the time for it, because people think it's you know it's a ninety minute job. It's really not. I mean, it, I, I I try and do probably almost two days of actual physical writing down prep. Um, and that's on top of it. It's a, it's a general interest anyway. But so, you know, the first thing I do when I wake up is to check what's happening in the world of football. And, you know, you've, you've got football websites and Twitter and all that kind of stuff open all the time, just continuously updating you, you with, with what's going on. Yeah, I mean, as you say, like, it's, it's I'm the same. We had... I had Fran Alonso, the Celtic FC women's coach, last week, and um, you know, there's virtually nothing. If you if you ever search for Fran Alonso online, it's very very difficult to find research about him. So I've really really had to dig and really had to go into his socials and 
and kind of dig through. And fortunately, we got quite a lot on him eventually. But in terms I of, I uh, sat next to him at Scotland Wales in the Six Nations two years ago. That is random. Um, <laughs> two two years ago, obviously we'd never been at Celtic. Um, it would have been at Lose, maybe. I think. Um, uh, I think. I think he would have been at Lose at the time. Um, but that's so random. Like, think, such, a nice, like, such a nice guy as well. I've got a feeling it was almost like the week pre-lockdown. So would he not have been at Celtic then? But that been that must have been last, he, last year then. Was that? Yeah, last year. Uh, yeah, it was last year. Yes. Was it last year? Yeah. No, I thought you said yeah. two years ago. That's why I was. Oh, like, sorry. Yeah. No. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it would have been. Um, I think January twenty twenty joined Celtic. Um, yeah, so it would have just been that. It would have been March. March twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, speaking of twenty twenty, it kind of leads us nicely in. Um, New Year's Day twenty twenty. Now this isn't a great memory for me because, as you see in the background, I'm a Newcastle fan as well as a Celtic fan. Um, you commented in your first English Premier League game, Newcastle United Leicester. Um, obviously, it didn't end well for Newcastle. So, as well as a Hogmanay hangover, you know, I, I didn't really enjoy the game. But I was, I was delighted to hear you doing your commentary with John Hartson. Um, it must have been it must have been good for you in terms of. I know BT covered a lot of the games in the one day, kind of. I think they covered all the games in the one day. But in terms of the score line, that must have been relaxing that, that it wasn't just a drab nil-nil draw. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I always turn up at games hoping that it's not going to be a nil-nil. Uh, you, you want something to get your teeth into. It was, I mean, that game was not very competitive at all. Like Newcastle gave them two goals. Uh, certainly, certainly the first one, and I, I remember I was. You, they usually think because you get the director saying, "All right, maybe do the promos here." So you've got to say, "All right, coming up on on BT Sport One later this evening, it's this game, this game, and this game." So usually, a safe time to do that is goal kicks. So I'm reading off and going, "Oh, so BT Sport One at seven thirty, and then you just hear a sort of groan from the noise, and you know that something's happened, but you're not looking at it. So I looked up. I can't remember who the defender was, but the defender just like passed it straight to Jose Perez, uh, who you know scored on his his return to um, to St James's Park. Uh, so, so that's not ideal. Um, but I think Newcastle in that game, I'm sure they they had three injuries in the first half. Yeah, and, yeah, it was one, of the, it was one two, of the games. They made three changes by half time. And then it was about two minutes into the second half and they got another defender got injured. And, I mean, Leicester blew them away. Uh, Madison yeah. was superb. Uh, I think he scored a crack. It was at Perez, Madison and Chowdhury, maybe the goal scorers. Uh, they were they were just, they were another level in that game. But I've been, I've been fortunate enough this season to to do quite a few games. Obviously, the, the pandemic means that no crowds are in, so more games are broadcast. Uh, I've probably done that. I don't know, maybe about 10 games down in England uh, this year in the Premier League, which has been fantastic to to be given an opportunity like that. Uh, and quite a lot of them at St James's Park. Because, you know, I think it's like I, I get the Northern games, which sometimes were as far south as like Aston Villa. But, <laughs> but, but it, was, it was good. So so done, done quite a few. I mean, Burnley, been to Turf Moor. Ellen Road, um, Hawthorns, Villa Park, St James's Park. There's probably oh, uh, uh, Sheffield United, Bramall Lane as well. Um, 
so yeah, it's, it's been really good to to get down and see a few of those grounds, uh, which is, is really, I mean, I've, I've probably been to almost all the ones in Scotland, uh, so it's nice to tick off a few of the English ones as well. Yeah, well, you you know, you mentioned stadiums like Elland Road, um, which which I think it's definitely on the bucket list, obviously, now that, that both of us are staying in the Premier League, it, it's definitely a, a plan for next season for myself. Um, but what is the best stadium you've visited? I think probably in in terms of a sort of infrastructure and and just really impressive uh, from on a modern scale was the one in St Petersburg, uh, the Zenit against Celtic there, uh, and that I think at the time it was the most expensive stadium in the world. I think they'd spent a billion dollars on it, uh, and it was incredible. It didn't quite have the atmosphere because I think their ultras were on one of their many bands at the time. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I think probably probably the most impressive atmosphere that I've heard, one of them would have been in Warsaw uh, for Scotland-Poland, and it was, I think, three or four days after Poland had just beaten Germany. Scotland went over there and we got a two-all draw. Uh, that was that was a brilliant atmosphere. And, and one of the others that will stick with me forever uh, was Japan-Scotland and the Rugby World Cup. Uh, just in 2019, there to be at that game was a it was a real privilege. Actually, the Japanese fans were incredible, uh, incredible supporters. The noise that they made—that's that's what I love about sport. I was going to say football, but sport. Uh, that the different noises that different places and different stadiums produce, and and out in Japan was one. Was was a just a, a noise and an atmosphere that I'd never experienced before. I did come away from that game absolutely, absolutely gutted because Scotland had gone out of the World Cup. Um, but I think possibly for the first time, happy for another set of supporters. Uh, yeah. They'd won because I mean you had you had I think the game must have finished about midnight, and you had kids that had stayed up, little five-year-old Japanese kids running about, just so excited. And they've got to stay up till midnight and and watch this incredible game of rugby. So I think, yeah, those those three stand out. Yokohama itself, I wouldn't say the the ground is big and imposing, but I wouldn't say other than that, it would be one that would stick out. There will be another stadium that I've enjoyed for its its architecture and its. It's not really coming to my mind at the moment. I always really wanted to go to the old velodrome in Marseille, but obviously it's the new one now. Because yeah. um, I, I I love unique grounds. I think that I think it's one thing I would say about modern stadia is they're all a wee bit too samey. Uh, obviously, you get the big ones that are built for World Cups, and they have hundreds and hundreds of millions or billions spent on them. Um, the ones that are maybe done at a lower level, they're just a wee bit samey. Uh, and, and atmospheres can be a wee bit stale in them. Uh, whereas, you know, you go down a ground that I always pick out that, that I really like for some reason is Somerset Park. And yeah. it's just it's somewhere a bit different. I love the end at, at, um, at Morton as well. And you've got the crane behind, just little things that, that stand out that make somewhere unique rather than somewhere that looks like it's been picked out of a catalogue. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you must have seen some games over your time in terms of um, 
you know, the, the European games with Celtic and or Rangers and, um, you know, cup finals and cup semi-finals. But what, what would you say is your best game that you've commented on football-wise? Best game in terms of an actual match. Uh, and you actually played played the 10th the goal from it in your uh, in your lead-up. Uh, was that uh, Hibs Rangers game at Easter Road? Was just, that was just bonkers. You, you've got no idea what's going on. I honestly was... I would, at one stage at the end, I was all I was stalling to give the scoreline because <clears throat> our graphics had, had come off at that stage and I was looking up to the to the scoreboard in the stadium and, and I think it still had goal going across at Easter Road and I was like, I think it's five all, but I'm really not 100% <laughs> sure here. You're just, you've got so much going on and you're just trying to work it. You're like, I hope I've got the right scorer. hope I've got the right score. Has, is there an offside flag? And, and you've just got fans going bonkers around you. Um, so you, you've just got to throw yourself in and, and hope that you get it right. Uh, so that that was good. Um, this, year's, this year's Scottish Cup final, between Hearts and Celtic was actually that was a cracker of a game. I thought I thought Hearts yeah. put Hearts put so much into that. I think they probably they probably deserved to to come away with a cup in that game. I think but being a Championship team taking it to Celtic in that game, I, th- I thought that that was a that was a really good one. Um, and there's been some belters in Europe that that stand out for probably for the dramatic finishes and uh, as you played. Previously, the the double header with Lazio with Celtic um, was it that those two games were were unbelievable. Um, so I think I'd, I'd probably probably pick those out as as, as the best games that I've done. I mean, the, the the thing is, obviously, you know, you said at the top of the program there that how nice is it to hear football fans and you know I, I watch back these games and as you say, the, the Scottish Cup final I think will go down as is the best um, Scottish Cup final. I wasn't a neutral obviously but in terms of I was going through every emotion that day and you know you watch it back and you just hear the obviously no for, for that game but in terms as you say the five each game with, with Rangers and Hibs the Lazio games you just see the joy in the fans and you know they're, they're all over each other I mean Chris Sutton I can remember in Lazio game just you know that famous wow 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 moment um, I almost I had to hold him back from going on to the pitch <laughs> I'm surprised if I need to be honest. I, if I, I think I would have been off. Um, we, we obviously spoke as well before, um, just for a bit of fun. Just, you know, who would you have if you had a dream dinner party and you had three um, places? Who who would you, past or present, who would you invite? So, you just asked me this, this afternoon and I was driving down the road from the Highlands and I thought, it, 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 probably, it took me a wee while to get there. Because I started and I was the mind was blank because I was just going footballers, footballers, and then I went, all oh, right, there's nobody standing out. And then I went, right, sportsmen, because I've spent my whole life idolising footballers and other other sportsmen. Yeah, and so I'm so I'm going to surprise you by not picking a sportsman in any of the three. Yeah, um, that's fine. I've actually meant to say it could it could have been anybody. It wasn't just meaning like <laughs> sportsmen. Um, so, first first one I picked, uh, David Attenborough. Uh, I just think has had an amazing life, and now with the he's shining so much of a light on on climate change and global warming, warming, 
that he is, I think he is a really important man to treasure and listen to because let's be honest, governments, governments do what line their pockets. And if, you know, if that is selling out the planet, then we're going to really, um, really regret it in time. Um, so I think, but on top of that, he has had the most incredible life, uh, yeah. been to amazing places, uh, interacted with, I love his interactions with, with animals when he gets up close with them and things. Um, so yeah, David Attenborough, number one, um, then maybe to lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, I, I can't think of somebody that can tell a story or a joke better than Billy Connolly. Oh, uh, somebody that can just hold hold a, a room encapsulated just by every word that he is going to say. I've, I've never met him, but uh, to listen to him, to watch him, actually, it, it almost doesn't matter what he's saying, to watch him entertain a crowd is just something else. So so I'd put Billy in there and uh, the third guy, third guy, I kind of thought long and hard about this, uh, and I, I put in Anthony Bourdain, um, American uh, chef, first first and foremost, um, TV maker, uh, sort of travel, um, does lots of travel TV, passed away a couple of years ago, very sadly. But if you've not seen any of his programs, uh, you should have a watch and just the life that he that he led, uh, experience cultures and going around different places. He's done a couple. Of, he's I think he's he said Glasgow was one of his favourite cities in the world, uh, and he's he did a couple of episodes on his travels uh, in Glasgow, and they're just different to any other travel show. It's not oh let's you know here's here's George Square and here's the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery, he really delves deep into the psyche of the people. Um, so just a really fascinating guy, incredibly funny, entertaining, and just looks at the world in a different way, or looked, sadly, at the world in a different way. So I think he would be a, a really interesting, yet entertaining guy to to have at the table. And uh, uh, yeah, and he, he can he can cook. He can also direct you to what you should be eating and and drinking as well. So I think that would be a be pretty good trio. That would be pretty, that's, that's quite a, that's quite an unusual one. I, I think people go with the the kind of obvious ones when you ask them, and um, and mine would just be pretty obvious. Mine would be Robin Williams, um, just absolute genius. Um, unfortunately, again, he's not with us. Another one that's not with us, um, Whitney Houston. Absolutely love Whitney Houston. And um, Harry Redknapp, I think. Mm. I would love to meet Harry Redknapp. I think he's just, I've, li- down, I've listened to all his podcast episodes kind of thing. I, I, I just think he's so, so funny. Um, From footballers, I, I, the ones that I thought of, because I, I have been asked the question before and I think it was limited to footballers. And I, just, I thought of the the autobiographies and the biographies that are that have stood out for me. Uh, and my favourite's Garinchas. If uh, I, I highly recommend that fascinating story about a guy from a you know a time that's way beyond where or way before the football world that we know, you know, playing in the fifties, and he was he was sort of the one that really uh, Brazil took to their hearts when Pele was the absolute superstar. Garincha was was the one that the Brazilian people 
really fell in love with because he was one of them. Um, so he he's one that always interests me. I, I love Pirlo's book as uh, as outstanding and Ibrahimovic's as well. Um, Paul McGrath is meant to be very very um, encapsulating as well. So uh, yeah, I mean they're, they're, that's that's a sort of I would if if I've been stuck with footballers, then that's probably the line I would have gone down. But um, yeah, surprisingly, the, the the three names that stood out for me, as it turned out, none of them were sportsmen. Hamish McInnes was one that, that came to mind. Actually, a famous Scottish climber that that died uh, just recently, and uh, he was somebody that that my dad uh, really looked up to, climbed with as well. Um, and I, I mean, the mountains are, that's, that's probably my first love, uh, that or football. Yeah. It's, it's close or sport, I should say. Um, yeah. but yeah, if, if I, when I can get the chance, then, uh, then I get into the mountains. Yeah. I mean, um, just in terms of obviously BT sports lost uh, the rights for Scottish football, uh, to sky. I don't know if this is a myth that I read, but basically I believe that, that you tried um, to kind of get the bosses to kind of up their bid and try and steal it from Sky, you know, just, just secure the rights. Is, is Did you write any later or was that just a myth that I read? Yeah, no, I, I, I did. Um, to no avail, unfortunately. I mean, these yeah. decisions are, are made so so much higher up. I, yeah. I just, I think, um, I think Scottish football is undervalued um, anyway. I mean, when when you look at the amount of money that's poured into other leagues, I think what you get from Scottish football uh, is, is actually of real value to to companies. Um, and I just I just felt that that it would be a, a decision that that they would they would regret in time um, to not keep that and and to to keep hold of of the team and all the work that had been done so it was really disappointing um, but what I would say is BT have been fantastic with me um, I know that BT sport themselves would have been desperate to to keep it on but these these decisions are made higher up the chain and, and the, the timing from a, a company point of view I think I think wasn't helpful as well um, just where where the company was at the time, um, without going into too much detail, but um, but they've been fantastic uh, s- since the rights were lost and Simon Green's the the head head man at, at BT Sport and and he's he he was keen to keep me on over the summer and and you know I still had a contract well well he renewed a portion of my contract which which really came as a, a really pleasant surprise and that's given me the opportunity to to go, do games down down in south and to continue doing well it was Europa League this year hopefully there's Champions League next year if we can get a Scottish team in there yeah definitely I mean obviously I, I think it's kind of felt nationwide that, that BT were the ones that, that should have got it obviously as you say money talks and and, and Sky's obviously just bid higher, but in terms of, I think, the, the, the team that BT built, do you know what I mean, with yourself and Stephen Craig and Chris Sutton and Alan McCoyst and, and Ken Thompson when he was there briefly, and 
I, I just think there's a there's a fine balance and with with Daryl Curry obviously as well, you know, it's it's sort of like it's a wee bit more animated, I think, when you watch it and even when you watched Scottish Football Extra, as opposed I know Sky when they got the rights to Scottish football, they tried to do something similar and I, I think it was a Friday night with Chris Boyd and Chris Commons and it just wasn't happening. It just it was very even when you watch I think the this the Scottish um production side of things. I know a lot of people work hard and I've got a lot of time for, for Ailey Barber who who does amazing things I think all over for, for sport as well. But I just I just think BT kinda showed that they almost cared that wee bit much kind of thing and and uh, we're gonna get on to the Bet for Red Cup final and how much they cared because in terms of uh, the the Betfred Cup final 2019 with Celtic and Rangers, you know, unbelievable coverage. I don't think it's ever been done before. I don't know if it'll ever been done again, but I think it was something like nine hours coverage from nine o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, you had stuff like um, Stephen Gerrard, what he wore. You had an old firm carpool. Um, you know, Scottish football extra of the road to final old firm memories. I know Grant Phillips is involved in in the kind of production side of things, but was that to do with him or was you know was was that uh who who kind of came up with the idea of the old i think it, i think it was grant that came up with it um and I, I don't know if anyone took it seriously at first and then realized that no no this is actually happening i don't know if i don't know if emma dodds was thinking when she had to turn up at hamden at about six in the morning to do the first bit because <laughs> I, I ended up doing what was it? i ended up producing um one of the one of the VT inserts for our program for it, um, which was quite good because I could do that in the in the the days leading up to it, and I actually felt really bad just rocking up and you know a couple of hours before kickoff doing the game and then being able to go because you know Emma and Daryl and and all the all the production crew, all the camera crew, the sound guys, the lighting guys. I mean. It's a huge operation that goes into to any any football broadcast, and uh, and those guys had all been there for absolutely hours. And I rocked up, got my bacon roll, did the game, and went home. <laughs> it's it's just, I mean, I can remember watching it, and I remember, you know, as I say, the carpool karaoke. I thought was uh, of the carpool. Um, old firm rather was was brilliant. I thought with who they got in, and and I think that fine balance between you know Chris Sutton and, and Ali McCoy is is just brilliant to watch, especially in Scottish football extra. Um, but in terms of just like the the Betfred Cup final itself, I can remember thinking in the morning because I, I remember the weather was shockingly bad. I think high gusts of wind and rain and pretty much like your first game for Rangers now, Brove. But in terms of Obviously, you'd have been a lot safer commentating at Hamden, but in terms of you know how how big a game was that for you to to commentate in? I think uh, I think that was that was my first first live Celtic Rangers game, uh, other than one from 20, 2012. Uh, which I did for for Sky on their three D channel, so I don't think many people saw it. <laughs> so that was, I, I think that was, I think that was one of the certainly one of the first ones that I'd done, um, which is always exciting. And then when you've got silverware on it, then it 
you know, it's, that that becomes bigger than any of the league games unless you get one really near the end of the season when they're neck and neck. Um, and it was a game that Celtic had no right to win on the balance of play. Rangers Rangers gave them a, a hammering that day. And yeah. if it wasn't for Fraser Forster, uh, that game would have been done and dusted. Um, and then it's, it's one of those things with football that one team gets battered for the entire game and then gets their one chance up the other end uh, and takes it. And it, it's, it's a, a result that didn't really make sense. Uh, and I, I wonder, I mean, I, I think when you, when you now look at how, how things have worked out with Celtic this season, Fraser Forster last year was huge for them and not having him, I think, I think, has played a fairly big part in that this season. Yeah, I mean, me and, uh, me and Paul that, that do the show at the weekend, we, you know, we continuously say um, that he, he should still be at Celtic and, and had he been at Celtic, I, I think, in my opinion, I think if we had got Fraser Foster and, and Ivan Tony in the door, I think the league would have been wrapped up. I think we, Rangers wouldn't have, have had an answer to it. Um, but just in terms of, as you say, I still remember that game, you know, and still I still watch highlights every so often, and I, I do think to myself, how did we win that game, Jan? Because Morelos must have missed half a dozen chances, and I actually think that's why Rangers lost the game because I think from the basis of it, I think they were trying to set up Morelos too much to score. I know he hadn't scored at the time in the fixture, and I think they're almost trying too hard to give him the goal rather than. When you watch some of it back, I, I think that it had players taken on chances themselves, I think it could have been a different story. Um, but, but then Morelos would be the guy that you would look to because he's a goal scorer. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think I think if if you're a Rangers player in that instance, and you're thinking who's going who's going to be the one that's going to get us a goal in this game when we need it, then yeah. of course it would be Alfredo Morelos. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you noticed it at the time, but when Rangers got the penalty and Frimpong got sent off, I think Tavernier handed the ball to Morelos and this roar went up from the Celtic end, almost as if to say, he's going to miss, he knew he was going to miss, and so I don't know if Morelos heard that and I don't know what, what was going through his mind, but as you say, Fraser Foster's just an absolute... I mean, you, you look at that save from, I think, Katanga from Lazio. Um, yeah. Absolutely incredible man mountain, and it's it's disappointing to see that in the situation that he has at Southampton kind of playing second fiddle. Um, so I suppose Hibs winning the first Scottish Cup in 114 years, Celtic win the quadruple treble, Celtic Rangers reach European finals in Scotland, first qualification since 1998. Um, you've, you've commented on some historic games already. Um, is there a particular moment you would have been like uh, you would have liked to have been involved in in the past? Good question. Uh, I'd have, I'd have loved to have done. Well, this one comes with a caveat. I'd love to have done Scotland Brazil in the '98 World Cup. Uh, yeah, I think opening the World Cup. Uh, to think the eyes of the world were on Scotland that day, and and they had a. They had, they had a fantastic performance. Took Brazil were the best team in the world in '98 by I think quite a distance. 
Uh, we know how it all worked out in the final, and well, we don't know the entire story, but you know how Ronaldo was not the Ronaldo that he was, and but we we gave Brazil a very good game in that tournament. Yeah, as good as as good as anyone else gave them, other than France in the final, we gave them a really good game. I'd, I'd have loved to have done that, but at the same time, uh, and because I, I, I get asked this quite a lot, would you you know would, would you love to commentate on Scotland in the World Cup? And it's it's something that I'm very uh, sort of split on because I'm a Scotland fan and I I go to every home and away game, pretty much every away game. Um, as long as I can, as long as work allows it, uh, and and so that's really become my passion as a as a football fan. I think I think when you're in when you're in Scottish club football and you're also a broadcaster, I don't have the same passion to be a fan of of a club. So with the national team, I can I can disassociate from that and. I'm all in on, on Scotland and I love it. The times that I've had traveling with my mates to far flung places and countries and cities that you'd never usually go to, you wouldn't go to on holiday. But I, I mean, that probably alludes to why I picked somebody like Anthony Bourdain uh, for the dinner party is because I like going to different places and, and cities and areas within cities that take you a little bit off the beaten track and into bars and restaurants and squares that, that you know maybe aren't in the guidebooks and things like that and that's that's why I really like doing in the the travels of Scotland and try and make it almost you know as planes trains and automobiles don't don't take the easy route and just fly in two hours before kickoff and you know we're we're getting you know to Albania we flew into Rome and got the train to Bari and the ferry over to Albania uh, and you know, then we were over the border into uh, Montenegro and flew back via Sweden and all this kind of stuff. And I, I love all that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, as you say, that's that's the beauty of football. You get to see places that you never thought you'd get to see. And and you know, mentioning obviously Scotland games and how amazing it was that 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 we qualified. You know. Typical Scotland, you know, she come with health warning, um, two penalty shootouts, and how how do you see us doing in the Euros? I I think we'll do well. I mean, it's it's a bonus that we get to play a couple of games at Hamden, uh, yeah. definitely, and I think it'll naturally it's it's likely to come down to those two games. England at Wembley is tough, of course. I mean, they're one of, one of if not the favourites for the tournament. Um, but, you know, there's nothing to say why we can't get something down there. I mean, we just talked about that Celtic Rangers game in the in the Betfred Cup final. And I think I think Celtic had a late chance as well, which could have made it 2-0, which would have just... Mikey Johnson been, slipped, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That, I mean, that would have just been absolutely ridiculous. Um, so sometimes football just does funny things. So you never know. Um, I th- Croatia... World Cup finalists. They're obviously a very, very good side, but I, I would back us to to get something in the Czechs. Another, another good side. Probably, probably the one that are underestimated, uh, but some really, really good players. Uh, so, I, I, I think, I think we'll get out the group, which would be the first time that Scotland's ever done that. Um, 
I do think that the Euros, a 2014 team, uh, 2014 tournament doesn't work. I, I don't like it. I think you play you play the entire group stages to get rid of eight teams to get it to a last 16. I think that's I think it's just a pretty weak way of organising it, to be honest. Um, but that's the way it is. And and if you can finish third in your group and and go through, then I'll absolutely take that. I think Portugal Portugal won it in what now five years ago without. They only won one game or something like that. It was, I mean, that, yeah, I think that's that how ridiculous was... it is that you can get through your group without winning games. So, but if if we benefit from it, then fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, when you mentioned being the difference of being a fan and going to these places and and you know working uh, because technically you are still working. I know you're getting to see the game and you you get to be as animated as you want kind of thing when you're commentating but obviously you know you want to enjoy it a few beers with your mates and and really kind of go for it and and i, I think we've got a great chance it's it's such a shame for kenny mclean that he's that he's going to miss because he's been an integral part in his com um qualifying rather um you know but just to just to kind of move on you, you mentioned grant phillips um before was was he involved in this past to paradise move that that saw you kind of take up the commentary role with Celtic home games? Uh, yeah, yeah, because I think Celtic Celtic did the deal with Sunset and Vine, uh, so Grant's Grant's obviously with Sunset and Vine, so that was that was where the contact uh, came initially. Um, so yeah, and at the time when that came up, uh, you know, BT have lost the rights and. Have, I've not done any work since March, <laughs> so so it, it, it was you know a, a good move. I really enjoyed uh, doing the games for Celtic and uh, what was what they hoped was to be a, a huge season. But it's uh, it's great to get the call to to be asked to do things like that. Uh, and I've done Ross County as well this season. That was the game I was doing last night, which was was very interesting. Uh, so I, you know, thanks Celtic for. For giving me that opportunity, uh, as it turned out, I mean the deal that we did was until the December anyway, and and you, you should have seen how busy I was. October, November, December, I was I was averaging five games a week, uh, and that, that that was tough. It was it was really difficult. It's, it's great to be that busy, but it's at the same time you you want to be as enthusiastic as you as you possibly you would you want to be up for the game like a fan is. Yeah, because you would have obviously had um you would have obviously had the European games as well as the Celtic home games. Um I was I was actually quite surprised because I wasn't aware that the, the, the deal obviously ran in December because, you know, we've um we've kind of had Jeremy Culloch and Darren O'Dee commentating for this most of the second half of the season. Um so I just think it's 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 better, I think, when when you've got somebody like you commentating, kind of thing. Just that kind of, I know there's no fans inside the stadium, and as you say, you you get a buzz off of that when when the fans are there because the fans get excited and it kind of gets you. I mean, you could hardly hear yourself at Easter Road that day um, with the commentary with the with the Hibs and Rangers fans. Um, but in terms of, I, I think James McMahon's saying, does does Rory think that Eddie Howe has signed? to be the next manager. Do you think there's a, a deal struck there? Uh, I've got no idea, not a clue. 
Uh, I think he was hoping for an exclusive. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I'm I'm not as tapped into the industry as as uh, a lot of my mates hope that I am. Um, I don't know. There's, there, I mean, there's obviously been contact. Uh, I, I I think he probably will be, but that is a hunch and nothing more. Yeah, I mean, I, me and Paul talk about it every week and it seems to be a broken record um, with us because we we seem to be digging up whatever we can on it. And, and I think it's 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 hinging on, from what I've heard, it's, it's going to get announced soon and it's hinging on how Bournemouth do in the playoffs because I think it's Eddie Howe assembling his backroom team. Um, there's a few names been mentioned. So as Celtic fans, nothing against Bournemouth, but obviously we're hoping that they get put out first in the semi-finals so that we can get this deal done and over the line. Um, Paul Rooney says, "What was the best performance from an individual player that you've commented on? Commented on rather. Uh, a few, few good ones in Europe. Um, but one, do you know what? One that one that sticks out was I did a, a Scotland under twenty ones game uh, in Paisley against uh, Netherlands under twenty ones." And Quincy Promise scored a hat-trick. And I thought, this guy is going to be... He is the next big thing. He was absolutely sensational. Unplayable. Uh, and he, he's gone on to have a good career. Uh, yeah. He's, I'm sure he's been capped. And it, I think he was out at, was at Spartak Moscow or something like that. So, he's, you know, he, I'm sure he's earned some some good money off it. But he's, he's not gone to the levels that, on that night, I thought, yeah, this... This guy is the next, maybe not quite messy, but uh, I thought he was going to be absolutely awesome. So I, I think it's probably a surprising one, but I think that's probably, it's probably one of the performances that's had the, the biggest effect on me in terms of just being being that impressed. From a team performance, uh, I thought um, Salzburg against Celtic, uh, actually at home and away, I thought they were they were absolutely incredible against Celtic in the Europa League. That, that was probably, and there were a few there were a few within that. I thought uh, Minamino, uh, who scored a couple of goals over there in Austria, uh, and Haidara, and who was the other boy that played centre midfield with him, uh, Samaseko. The three of them, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, obviously. He- as you say, you must, you must, especially in European games, you must have seen some amazing talent. I think the best player I think I've ever seen live in the flesh was Ronaldinho at Celtic Park. It's unbelievable. You, you think you're watching a game of, you're playing a game of FIFA. You're, you know, you're watching, you're watching the TV. It's unbelievable to see, you see these players up close. Um, just to finish, then Rory, um, I notice you like to climb hills and mountains. Um, you're obviously from up north. Um, it's something that, that I, I kind of took to um, not during lockdown, before lockdown, when you know I, I did the cobbler and Ben Ann and Ben Lomond. Um, what what is your kind of favourites been, and what one would you be Ooh. on your bucket list? Uh, the favourite that I've done uh, is Ancella up uh, up in the northwest. Uh, I mean, Google Google image it, and you'll go. That's not Scotland. It, just unbelievable. Sky is incredible. The Black Cooling on Sky, uh, which I've I've only done two, but I would love to do the entire ridge. 
Uh, my dad was big into climbing, I mentioned before. So that gave me a, a really good introduction to the hills, but it, it probably wasn't until I got into maybe my late 20s that I really discovered it myself. Um, the Anahigach in Glencoe, which is the other side from the the uh, ski resort, is that's another ridge line. Which I mean, it just goes like that, <laughs> and and you you've got sheer drop on on either side. And some people get head for heights. I it's not something that that frightens me, um, and that's just that's just something that's in your makeup, or it's not. And I'll my girlfriend looks below. She she always finds like the the lower path and I go no no I'm I'm going up there and it, almost sort of jumping across rocks and things because I I love that kind of thrill and my the thing that I love doing more than anything is winter climbing and hiking up with my snowboard uh, which if people don't know about it you get a thing called a split board which is a snowboard that splits in two and you can walk uphill on it yeah without going into too much detail but and then you get to save your knees and board down and have a bit of fun uh that's that's what if if I was to pick a day to do anything, it would be that, and then to go and have a few beers to finish. Yeah, I mean, as I say, Glencoe is beautiful, um, as 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 all of Scotland kind of thing, especially when you get up there. And um, as you say, you mentioned heights, Sarah. I um, I wouldn't say I'm terrified of heights. I'm I'm I'm, I'm not the greatest with heights, but I can remember going up to I think it was Ben Ben Lomond or Ben Ann and. We were we were obviously taking pictures, me and my cousin, and um, she took a picture of me, and I was kind of on the the top of one of the rocks, and there's literally a like thousand feet drop below me, and I'm thinking, one gust of wind, and I'm going. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, well, <laughs> like, did you, did you go onto the pinnacle and the cobbler? Yeah, because uh, the big pinnacle there is is quite intimidating. Uh, it's it's unbelievable because you get up there and and. If you get a really, really good day, you can the views you can get is unbelievable. Um, but a couple of days that we'd done it, we we got up and it was just grey. There was nothing you could see. It was just clouds and grey. Um, but it's definitely obviously once you know everything's been lifted, kind of thing. Definitely getting back out there and going to. I think um, Ben, what was it? What was the one we were going to do? We we're going to do one. It takes about eight or nine hours. I think it's an all day shot. Um, they were going to do it and kind of stay over the a B and B up there. Um, I can't remember if it's Ben Ben Nevis. Yeah, ben, ben Nevis. Yeah, yeah I, I, we we're going to do that, and obviously we just missed out on it last year due to weather conditions, kind of thing. But but that's definitely going to be um, one of my on, on my bucket list to do, kind of thing. But listen, um, thanks very much, Rory, for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been good fun. Thanks. Um, for, uh, thanks for listening thanks. to me for for an hour and a half. <laughs> listen, listen, thanks for coming on for an hour and a half because normally these are about 56 minutes or an hour. This is the longest one, but I genuinely had like 20 odd, 20 odd questions um, that I wrote down today because I found out that much about you. But um, So listen, guys, we've come to an end. Thanks very much for everybody that's watched. We are available to download on Spotify and other good podcast apps. Just search Celtic FC Appreciation Show. Click subscribe and click follow. We are all over the socials. The numbers keep going up on the page. Um, we're having a wee bit of a problem with the Facebook page in terms of posts, but um, we are still updating it. Um, so just search Celtic FC Appreciation on Facebook and follow us. Um, as I say, we're winding down towards the end of the season. We're going to rebrand the podcast over the summer. 
But we will be back on Monday night where we will be doing a Scott Brown tribute show. Um, it's going to be an hour worth of Scott Brown stories and stats and everything. Me and, me and Paul will be on, hopefully, with a special guest. I'm going to be working hard over the weekend to try and get hold of somebody to come on. Um, and after that, it will be the final show. But the very next night, we're going to do a one-off show. Um, 30 years since the 1991 Scottish Cup final, I have got Tom Boyd and Darren Jackson on opposing teams that day. Both went on to have careers with Celtic, so they're coming on to discuss the the cup final. Um, but until until Monday then, guys, um, thanks very much and keep subscribing to the podcast.